I recently had the opportunity to visit the Cisco offices in London, saw some fantastic equipment like their 400 gig Ethernet. Also saw some old equipment such as the Cisco AGSs from many, many years ago. It's great to see the equipment that they have in their lab. But I specifically went to Cisco to interview Martin Lee about Cisco Telus's perspective on the threat landscape. I interviewed Martin previously at Cisco Live in Amsterdam. He has the ability to explain complex topics simply but also to tell us what the real threats are and how we can protect ourselves. It is so difficult writing software and modern devices are so complex. You're gonna to have to expect that there's, that there's vulnerabilities in there. Um, what we really want is we want the white hat hackers and the legitimate security community, if I can use that word, finding these vulnerabilities first um, and fixing the vulnerabilities, getting the patches out before the black hats and the bad guys are finding it and putting it to, um, to their own use. And then even if they do put that to their own use, again, it's for the security community, let's spot the exploitation of the vulnerabilities early and as soon as we can. So again, we can work on a fix and we can resolve the problem. I also spoke to Mark Jackson, National Cybersecurity Advisor for the UK and Ireland at Cisco. He does a lot of work with the UK government. And what we discussed is of great interest to me. We are talking about the issue of vulnerabilities in network equipment. This is not something new, but it's escalating. It's important that you are aware of the issues of outdated network equipment. I've seen so many posts in the past where people post things on the internet saying, my router has been up for two years or five years or whatever. Isn't my router great? And the issue is that's great from an uptime point of view, but is an absolute nightmare from a cybersecurity point of view. In other words, you haven't updated your device for all that time. That is a disaster waiting to happen. It's amazing the comments I often get on YouTube where people say, this will never happen. This is dumb. It's too simple. But in the real world, those are the kind of things that happen to companies. Famous example, which we discuss in more detail, is the issue with simple network management protocol or SNMP and how companies are being hacked because they haven't updated their management protocols to use something more modern, such as NetConf or some kind of API versus SNMP version one, which again is a disaster. Make sure that you're aware of this. Make sure that your leadership is aware of the issues with regards to outdated network devices, IoT devices, other infrastructure devices that are just out there have been plugged in and have been left and not updated. So Mark, tell us a bit about yourself because we haven't met before. No, we've not. And I, I believe you can't tell me everything because no. you'd have to kill me, right? That's basically it, yeah, yeah. I am James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. No, 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 I, I'm really, really not. Uh, no, I, so where, where do I start? Uh, 26 years in Cisco. I joined Cisco as a graduate back in the late 90s and I've kind of been here ever since. Um, it doesn't feel like 26 years. Um, I've done lots of different roles inside Cisco, mostly in and around security and mostly in and around government. My motto is motivate, educate. And I was very happy to talk to one of the Cisco apprentices at the Cisco offices explaining his journey. Someone much younger, someone new to the industry, get their perspective on what the younger generation can bring to the table to help us do things differently and not make the same mistakes as we made in the past. Don't believe that because you haven't had the opportunities that other people have had, that you can't make a change in your life. I've seen it so many times with someone from a poor background, someone who was perhaps hungry, someone who didn't have the opportunities that many of us have had, goes on 
and does amazing things. Don't let the things of the past stop you from doing something amazing in the future. Learn from YouTube. Learn from the courses available out there. There's so much low-cost training out there. Use the training from Cisco and others to help you change your life. And I'll be talking more about free training from Cisco in an upcoming video. It's fantastic to see the amount of material available out there to help you learn and change your life in the future. One thing that we have the advantage over is that we use technology from day zero. So we've been there and experienced it. I think some older generations it's still kind of catching up to them. So we can go, right, we can, we can relate to people. Yeah. When people are saying that we've got this cyber attack and we're trying to put this technology, it's easier for us to go and test it and go and say, no, that's not gonna work or that might have some legs to it. We spoke in, was it February, right? About um, attacks against organizations. And I mean, kind of in line with what your book's about. And Telus have released this half year in review. Yes. And one of the things that was really interesting in this is mercenary software or mayhem it's called. Yeah. And they mentioned Predator, Spyware, and there's some others that are sort of well known, which we won't necessarily mention by name, but uh, I can, but like Pegasus is, is one that people probably know the most about. Yes. But I mean, Predator seems to be a new one and it seems to be growing, right? So perhaps you can tell us about why it made yeah. it to the report and what's going on. So it's all really part, it's part of the threat landscape and how the threat landscape is, um, is evolving. If you think about this from a state actor's point of view, um, like so many things, it's, it's difficult and expensive for, for, for states to set up very, very detailed technical departments that are doing stuff which is really quite difficult. So um, if you were a nation state and you were setting up your offensive cyber operations, it's tough, it's difficult, it takes a lot of time. So they look to outsource these operations to the private sector. So this is what we're seeing with, this, um, with these uh, information stealing attacks. Nation states contracting third-party private sector organizations to act as mercenaries, effectively, um, being paid by a nation state to carry out offensive activity on behalf of a nation state. And what these organizations specialize in is um, is compromising like everyday people. Yeah. Um, so journalists, um, uh, politicians, um, people who may well be considered dissidents, but people who have been placed under surveillance by a nation state to infringe on their human rights, um, steal their personal data. I imagine from the nation state's point of view, it's about understanding what it is that they're doing, who they're talking to, but you know, let's recognize this, what it is, it's illegal surveillance. Um, it's hacking those personal devices and so much of our entire personal life now is on, is on our phone um, that really we think it's unacceptable that um, nation states and private enterprises are facilitating this form of surveillance, stealing personal data. Um, you know, if you're a criminal and you get a court order for surveillance, that's one thing. If you're a normal everyday person going about your legitimate business and you get put under surveillance, I think that's something else. So we're seeing a growth in this kind of activity. I was going to ask you, is this like a big growth in it? 
It's been, it's been happening for a few years, um, but it continues to happen. Um, we do see more of it. Um, I think like many things, there are more and more uh, organizations that are specializing in this and developing that capability and people need to be aware of it. Um, and also we need to get consensus in the um, international community to say, do you know what, this, this is unacceptable and it needs to be um, properly regulated and, uh, and outlawed. The problem with this stuff, right, is it's, you get an SMS, you open that up, so you get like a one-click infection or installation, or, not even, or yeah. zero-click with some of the software. It's like with every device, anything that's got software, that's running software, there's going to be vulnerabilities there somewhere. Um, what these spyware organizations specializing in is finding those vulnerabilities so that they can compromise these devices and get their spyware um, into it. Um, so yeah, make sure you're keeping your devices uh, fully patched, um, up to date. Be aware that if you are at risk, you might want to have a separate device that you use for your professional life and keep that separate from your personal um, phone um, or even better, let's just outlaw it and stop it happening. This is the, the issue a lot of people encounter, right? They're not technical like we are. They're not in the cybersecurity niche perhaps. So what do businesses do to you know, protect their data? Again, we can go back, number one thing, Patch, patch, yeah. patch, patch, patch again. It's a mantra, right? Yeah. Secondly, um, if you can have your data in a secured environment, so one of the best things you can do, certainly for, for, for most organizations, hold your data in the cloud. Actually have it um, hosted by a third party that's doing the security operations themselves, that has a SOC that's monitoring this, those, um, those systems, and protect the login to those systems with two-factor authentication. Um, if you can do those two things, you're going to be in a pretty good position. The next step is making sure that you've got some form of endpoint protection on every device that you use. Endpoint protection, two-factor authentication to access your data which is held in the cloud, plus making sure that you've got, got a good patching uh, process in place that already puts you in a very, very good position. Uh, beyond that, we need to start thinking about what is it that you've got to lose. Um, obviously, if you're a big business or you're um, in a regulated environment, such as you're dealing with medical data or financial data, then you know we need to think about the consequences of what could possibly go wrong because it's going to be something which is worse. If you're, um, you're your own small business, if you can do those three things and do it well and do it consistently, you're going to be in a very, very good place. Um, the other one that you want to do, of course, is backup. Yeah. And we've been talking about backups, you know, since, since I was a kid, you know, even before that, 50, 60 years ago, people have been talking about the importance of backing up systems. It's the Achilles heel for ransomware. Still, we're not very good at, at, at backing up. But again, this is why we've got a cloud system and then you're, you're, you're outsourcing that backup into, into someone else. But if you can do it yourself, again, you're going to be in a good place. So did I hear, hear you right by saying that you're going to, it's better to put stuff in the cloud than it locally? For most organizations, um, um, well, you've got to think, so everything in security is a trade-off. The, the euphemism is if you can replace cloud computing with somebody else's computer, it's a very good way of thinking about it. But if you can think of, for most businesses, am I better off protecting and looking after my own data or actually 
is a third party that specializes in this likely to do it better than me? In most cases, the answer is probably yes. Not always, and if you can look after your own, your own data to a high level and you've got the proper backups in place and you're doing those security operations tasks, brilliant. Go do it yourself, it's not for everyone. If it's everyday data, something which isn't specialized, which isn't protected, you wanna focus on your day job and what it is that you do, you're probably better off having it in the cloud secured with two-factor authentication. But it's a personal decision, it's always a value judgment, um, and you've got to think of where is my time best suited? What's both beneficial, most beneficial for me and for my clients? I'd say nine times out of 10, outsource it to someone else. In the same way, I doubt whether you do your own books or your own auditing or your, or your own contracts. It's like everything, or your own plumbing. You, you get someone else to do it. You know what you need to ask them and the questions that you need to ask. You know how to identify someone who's reputable um, and you've got the right protections in place, but you're probably better off as the same, 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 uh, same situation like with plumbing. You're probably best off not doing it yourself. And I'd say the same thing with looking after data. I mean, it's interesting because when we spoke earlier this year, the, the biggest thing on everyone's lips, it seemed, was, was um, ransomware. Now it's like ransomware plus this mercenary software. Are those the two big threats that you see at the moment? There are, there are, there are many threats. It's constantly shifting, shifting, and it also depends on your own threat profile. Certainly, ransomware isn't going away. There's nothing on the horizon that, that I can see, which is going to mean that, that ransomware is going to stop. I think it's always going to be going to be with us. It's all driven by profit. Yeah. Let's not forget the vast, vast majority of, um, of attacks are criminal in nature. We've got dedicated criminals looking to make illicit profit. Ransomware is a criminal business model that they developed, which is very, very profitable. We see that dual threat of stealing data coming out of this, which is becoming bigger. So this summer was the first time that in the, um, our data and looking at our incident response data, we see more data theft than ransomware. So it is something which is, which is um, getting bigger. This is the first time we've seen it overtake ransomware. Mercenaries, it's worrying, it's there. We also need to look at that in the context of state-sponsored attacks with a backdrop of uh, well of conflict in Ukraine and conflict globally we also see criminal groups with greater or lesser associations with the nation state conducting attacks against organizations whether that's just defacement um, whether it's yeah just trying to destroy systems disrupt systems deploy wipers just generally causing havoc. That's the other bit that, that, that really disturbs me and, and gives me cause for concern. And also um, the use of what we might consider non-traditional systems to hack into. I mean, we've talked about the risk for years of network devices, printers, routers, switches, um, firewalls. These are devices that are connected to, um, to the network. Um, they have an operating system, they have spare CPU cycles, they can be used as a means of ingress by, by the bad guys. There's going to be vulnerabilities there, or there's going to be misconfigurations in one way or another. And so bad guys can use these as a point of ingress inside um, a network, enumerate the systems that are there, look for vulnerabilities, get inside them, 
and then cause some kind of additional attack, whether that's data theft or ransomware or just destruction or um, defacement. That happens an awful lot. And again, that's a shift that we've seen over the past three, through, yeah, sort of three years or so. Um, but I think we're going to see more of that. You can feel sometimes that the sky is falling, that it's the end of the world with this stuff. But you said something along the lines that you more attacks are stopped than actually take place. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's still, um, it's a bad day when you get yeah. compromised, but it's a bad day, not every day. Um, so far, far more attacks are, are detected and, and blocked than succeed. No organization, I think, is ever going to do security perfectly. Um, it's a matter of doing it better than most, not being an easy target, not making life easy for the bad guys. If you can do that, the bad guys are more likely to go against an easy target because there's enough out there. If you can be a slightly harder target, one, the bad guys are more likely to go, to go elsewhere. Two, if you're making life difficult for the bad guys, you're making their attacks noisy and you're going to be in a better situation to detect the attacks once you've detected it, you can then remediate it. So um, cyber attacks, they're not instantaneous. It's not something that just happens like that. They've got to find you first. They've got to conduct reconnaissance. They've got to find the vulnerability. They've got to exploit the vulnerability. They've got inside the system. Then that process is going to repeat. There's always, the fingerprints are always there if you look for them. The more difficult you make it for the bad guys, the more fingerprints you're going to find on your networks, on your systems, the more chance that you have to detect it. If you're looking, once you've detected it, you're then in a position to kick the bad guys out. It's interesting what you said because, I mean, I, th I think you mentioned it before as well. You mustn't think that you're not going to be a target. Everyone could be a target. Everyone's a target. But you mustn't get paranoid that you're going to get this... Um, malicious software on your phone necessarily, unless you're a specific type of target. Yeah, know, know what your threat profile is. Yeah. Most organizations, yeah, your your risk are criminals. Um, they're everywhere, they're gonna be looking at everyone and they know if they can get inside you, they can make money. Certain organizations and certain individuals have a higher threat profile that they're attracting other attackers. If that's you, be aware of it be aware what it is that you need to do. I think probably what I'd say, reach out to an expert organization to give you to, to give you the protection that you need. For most organizations, it's about not being an easy target. It's about considering what is the worst that could happen and then planning for that. Um, also, if you work in a security industry, um, there is only so much you can do. It's very easy to get paranoid. It's very easy for this to become a 24-7 profession. Yeah. You do need to be able to take a step back. You do need to be able to recognize you can only do so much. You can never ever be 100% secure. We need to be able to live with that uncertainty and say, okay, I've done everything that can be reasonably expected of me and that's actually what it is that I need to do. Um, and then also uh, it's so important, be able to step away and go and do something else um, hand the task on to someone else. Um, don't just do it on your own and think the entire organization's security depends on me. Okay, yeah, it probably does, but it's not only your responsibility. Um, you do need to be able to switch off, go do something else, and you do need, uh, need to recognize, I can only do so much. 
but everything that I do do during my day job, I move the security posture forwards. And if you can continuously move the security posture forwards every day, you're making the world a better place and you're making your organization um, safer. So if you, just, if you just patch one system in a day, you've made the world a better place. You're not going to be a patch every single one, but just move that security posture forwards day by day. You're making progress. You're making the world a better place. At the end of the day, switch off, chill, go do something else, uh, and then worry about it the next day. There's people in certain parts of the world. I mean, I'm from South Africa originally. Not everyone can afford to buy this commercial solution from Cisco. But how do you learn? And it's fantastic, yeah. you know, that, that Snort's available, these other options available for learning or for organizations that can't afford it. Absolutely. You know, that there, there are many organizations that, 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 that are out there that where they don't have a security budget. You know, let's face it, it, it happens. And um, I think all of us in the security industry, you know, would really love that you bought a proper um, uh, maintained product. Um, however, there are some organizations, some environments where that's never going to happen. And, um, you know, great. Here's that third party open source stuff. Download it. It's not going to get you as far as the, the, the fully working, all singing and dancing solution will, but it'll get you a lot of the way there. And if you can devote the time to it and also invest in the skills, both you're making these environments secure, but you're also developing those people so that they can enter the, um, uh, the workforce and they can develop their skills. I love it. I mean, the, the way I look at it is like Cisco Packet Tracer is another example. You know, how are you going to learn to configure routers and switches if you don't have routers and switches? And Cisco give Packet Trace away for free so you could learn this stuff so that when you go into the workforce, perhaps, or when you're changing jobs um, and you get into cybersecurity or networking, you already know what you're doing. Absolutely. We've got the open source software. Yep. There are various uh, tutorials, there are the communities that are out there. We've also got the Cisco Networking Academy where we've got um, various courses that you can take on networking and security. All of this is for free. The reason why we're trying to power an inclusive future, um, both for securing systems across the world, making possible these technological changes that are, that are happening. I mean, people have got dreams of how technology yeah. is going to be used. Yeah, we want to enable that. that that's very much what we want to do. Um, but there's also a bit about there's so many untapped skills out there. There's people watching this video who want to learn about security, who want to learn about networking. You know, there's so much stuff out there that we're trying to develop so that people can develop their skills. They can bring this to the workforce. They can make their dreams come true, um, whether it's about finding the employment of their dreams or they've got some kind of technology, some kind of system they want to build. You know, we're trying to make that happen. We're trying to make it easy for everyone. Yeah, I love that. I mean, the skills for all website is great because I mean, as I looked there, I was surprised. Cisco have a, just for people who haven't seen this, have an ethical hacking course. Yeah free on skills for all, as well as cybersecurity and uh, networking, CCST. So free training. I mean, if you want to do the exam, you have to pay, but I yeah. mean, the training but is the tra free. The training is out there. The systems to download and play with yeah. are all free. Uh, yeah, you've got to pay for the exams. You've got to pay for my book as well, I'm afraid. Um, but yeah, all of this, it, it's so much out there. It's, it's, there's so much out there. Uh, it's all a matter of getting engaged and playing with it. It's like a massive playground. Go go play with it and, and you'll learn. Uh, you'll have fun and um, 
yeah, we're making a better future. So yeah, that's 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 what I was uh, sort of hinting at, right? Yeah. You, do you do a lot of advisory stuff for for the UK yeah. government and stuff, right? Yeah. So I guess over the last couple of years, I um, I moved into a role, a team that we know as security and trust organisation inside Cisco. Um, we call them STO because we like our acronyms, as you well know. And what STO do. It's a couple of different things, but but primarily the focus I have is that security and trust um, look at the security of our products, not the features and functions, but how we build them, which is really important to a lot of our customers. And then the kind of regulatory landscape. So that's where I then spend a lot of time with the UK government because it's about how the market is going to be regulated from a cybersecurity point of view and therefore what we then have to do as an organisation to sort of go and meet that regulation for all of our different customers across the UK. Because, I mean, there's this... Um document on Cisco's website that I was reading, state-sponsored campaigns target global network infrastructure. Yeah. So, I mean, rather than us reading it, I'll, I'll link this below for yeah. anyone who wants to read it. Mm. Can you tell us what this is about? Yeah. And Because this is a big emerging thing, it sounds like. Yeah, well, I, well, it's interesting you use the word emerging because uh, my first experience with what you'd kind of call router malware or attacks against routers um, is probably 15 years ago. Um, so this is not a new no, problem. Um, but it's one of those that sort of bubbles to the surface when there's a bit of an incident and then drops back. But in essence, it's this idea or the recognition that, wait a minute, you know, a modern day router is just the Linux box. I yeah. mean, iOS XE is yeah. Linux running BINOS, you know, which is which is Cisco iOS as a, as a daemon. And so all of a sudden you've now got a different paradigm than maybe you would have had with classic iOS, which was a yeah. bit more complicated, but still a computer ultimately. Yeah. And therefore, it suffers all the same things that your Windows and your Mac and your Android and you know your iOS devices all do, which is that vulnerabilities are discovered and need to be patched and maintained. Um, I think we have a unique problem in the networking space, though, in that um, not only do people not patch, but also people hold on to their equipment much longer. Yeah. You know, and and I think that's that's a, that's a sort of unique to that domain problem where people will run their their networking equipment for five, ten, fifteen years well beyond its end of life and its end of support date because it just works. So there is always that tension of, well, if it's kind of working and, and I don't need to go yeah, and don't invest. Don't touch it. 100%. Yeah, it's yeah. not broken, don't fix it. That's it. So so it's already an emerging problem, but I think we're on one of those ebb, those not ebbs, those flows at the moment where it's where it's coming up. And I think the, the fundamental challenge is we're starting to see a shift in the same way that we see the threat landscape shifting all the time. We're seeing a shift towards people, or at least we're, we're seeing a shift towards discovering that there has been a pivot towards targeting of network devices, in particular, end of support, end of life, unpatched, and so on and so on. Um, the easy sort of low-hanging fruit, arguably, that, that exists out there on the internet. And of course, from there, there's lots of things you can kind of do. You can use it as a jumping off point. Uh, you could use it as a uh, point of capture and interception for data, because yep. that's what routers do, right? So yeah, so it's a, we're, we're definitely on one of those flow moments with this at the moment. So I mean, is, is is it because it's nation state? Is that the the new the new change, or has that always been an issue? No, or why is it suddenly like making the news kind of like now? I think it's I think it's probably a combination of the things. You know, we're definitely seeing the the attribution. So um, the UK National Cybersecurity Centre, the NCSC, you know, directly attributed Russia Russian um, APT actors against uh, something called Jaguar Tooth. Yeah. Um, uh, which um, was discovered earlier in this year, and and that malware. 
as you say, was attributed to Russia. So, so we can, you know, nation state in a way. It's a little bit of sensationalism, I guess, because to a certain extent that helps drive the message. You know, if we say that our nation state actors, China, Russia, are the, the, the two that are often called out in these type of actors, then that tends to bring attention to it, which is what we need. You know, and I think it's also the attacker motivation. You've got to think about what the motivation might be to, to attack a networking device as well. You know, is, it, is your average cybercrime gang going to go and target a router or a switch? Is it going to is it going to generate revenue for them? Yeah. <laughs> As you well know, you know that's that's the big motivation in that space. So I think it's it's probably a combination of a few things. I think it's making sure there's the awareness there, because it is an it's not an emergent problem. It's something that's been around a while. But the nation state thing, I think, just helps drive the um, the awareness. So in this document, they yeah. talk about um, and the document from Cisco, they talk about SNMP. Yeah. And then they also mention other management protocols. So are yep. there better ones to use today? Uh, yeah. So we talk about NetConf and um, RESTConf as being two alternatives. Um, they're just more modern paradigms. Again, you look at it's the encrypted, right? Yeah, they're all encrypted. They're, they're more efficient. They're more modern alternatives are using SNMP. But again, it's it's that legacy of well, what about your toolchain? Does that support RESTConf and NetConf as well? Yeah, this is a problem because I mean, would the recommendation like just take out SNMP? But that's not going to work no, for everyone. No. And that and that, that again is is part of the challenge. You can't yeah. just switch this stuff off in the same way you often can't just switch Telnet off. You you might have a script that's running around, going around, sucking up all your configs as part of your config management. Um, so that means now somebody else has got to touch that, and they've got to touch every device to turn off Telnet. Okay. And what's the actual net gain? Well, it's more secure. Well, yeah. But if I think that I'm never going to get compromised, then why would I really go burn two, three, four days of dev time to build a new tool, change my, you know, why would somebody do that if they don't think it's going to be a problem when I've just got to patch all my endpoints and I'm probably then better off, or I've got to implement MFA and all these other things that are probably higher priority in my in my stack. But yeah, so I think that's it. It's What a lot of this boils down to is, is it's, 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 it's exploiting the legacy you know, it's that low-hanging fruit that's been put out there, SNMP, Telnet, you know, all protocols. You know, if you've got HTTP left open on your, on your, uh, on your router or your firewall, whatever it might be, and somebody's left it because somebody might have done some management on it at one point and maybe not switched it off, um, you know, RDP. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's probably not even open that particular can of worms. But again, another classic problem, yeah? SMB. <laughs> yeah. You know, hey, let's stick SMB on the internet. Yeah, really? <laughs> But somebody will have done it, maybe accidentally, but oftentimes it will have been a deliberate decision because they needed to do something else and they didn't think about security ramifications. So, I mean, in the document, they mentioned stuff to look for. Now, one that was interesting, GRE tunnels. What yeah. are they, like, what are the, what are the like, things to look for? Like, I mean, we see this as a problem. Yeah. Cisco are trying to raise awareness yeah. to this. And I believe there's a, there's a whole, um, what is it, a coalition of multiple companies, right? So the Center for Cybersecurity Policy and Law, uh, who are a, a group in the US, essentially has instantiated this consortium, really, to address this problem. So we're, we're a founding member, along with the likes of Juniper and Fortinet and BT and Verizon, and there's, a, there's one or two others in there. And the idea is, is sort of recognizing that there's a problem here. You know, we've all got this problem. It's not just a unique problem to Cisco. But recognizing there's a problem, and this coalition is really forming around trying to I guess, get a sense of the scale of the problem yeah. and then actually come up with a set of meaningful, tangible things that organizations can do to try and do something in this space. Because again, it's another one of those, we've been talking about patching your stuff for ages, but yeah, it still doesn't happen. So we've got to try and think of some new and novel ideas as to how we actually move the needle on improving the resilience here. Because fundamentally, networks now underpin our economic well-being. You know, if, exactly. if, 
if a, if a telco network in the UK goes down, bad things start to happen, and they will happen very, very quickly, whether that's food distribution or energy management or, or you know, a whole bunch of other things. Um, so, you know, actually this becomes a non-negotiable for resilience of a nation, let alone just a, an, an individual organisation. So, um, I mean, there was talk about not having 2FA on VPNs, and that's what they've been targeting, right? Yeah, so that one's, that one's very much about, um, I suppose, exploiting creds, um, yeah. because obviously if you don't have your multi-factor, then, then it's easy, you've got your creds, yeah, and, sure and away you go. The, the other side of it is actual vulnerabilities in the VPN implementation, which then is being exploited to either get access to that device and then hop in, um, or otherwise, you know, effectively pivot yourself into the organisation, and that's that's the sort of two sides of the VPN as a as a as a an exploitable endpoint, and we've seen a lot of that noise. The the other side has been targeting sort of small office, home office devices as well. So okay. we do see people like D-Link and TP-Link and Linksys, and you know all the other brands that you tend to see on the end of broadband lines. And the motivation there is, because they're not enterprise focused, the motivation there is often the attackers want to use them as um, effectively part of their, their their attack chain. So they'll proxy DDoS through them. No, proxy through them. Okay, to so get into the corporate so, network yeah. or something. So rather than me going direct to you, what I'll do is I'll compromise yeah, home a network. thousand home routers and I'll bounce between them all. So therefore tracking me down and I might pull my C2 back, my command oh, and control traffic yeah. back through that. Um, you know, again, you, you might use them for DDoS, but if you're a nation state, your motivation is going to be slightly different. And so therefore you might use that to hide your C2. And again, that's documented in some of the... I think CISA talk about it, um, and I think we talk about it in some of our articles as well as, you know, there's the sort of enterprise endpoint, the Cisco router, but also then those other endpoints become interesting as part of that broader landscape of compromised network devices. So, I mean, the coalition is to try and, is to bring visibility to this problem yeah. because, I mean, we always hear the noise of IoT or we do. endpoint, <laughs> you know, your PC, you we need do. to get patched, whatever, your phone, yeah. but we don't always hear about this. So this is to yeah. try and shine a light on this. Is that it's right? definitely shining a light, and I think it's shining a light with a view to the action, you know, something that's actionable at the end of it. Yeah, because I want to get to that. So yeah. what what do we do? <laughs> so Cisco are a part of this coalition. Mm. Uh, governments are involved. Sure. But like, what does the guy on the street do? Yeah. Like someone like me in, in yeah. an enterprise, what should I be looking yeah. for? What should I be doing? Because some of the stuff's mentioned, yeah, but it's complex. It, mm, I, I challenge complex. Okay. I mean, it's... it's Needle um, and haystack, maybe. Yeah, and I think that's part of the part of the problem. Again, you've got a stack of a thousand things to do when you walk in the, in the door every morning. And, you know, there's going to be arguably there's going to be a bunch of things that are going to be more impactful from a security point of view, whether that's patching your endpoints or yeah. turning on MFA or looking at some logs and so on and so forth. Your network stuff is probably going to be a little bit down the track. So part of that coalition is absolutely about saying, yeah. you know, actually realize these things can be compromised. People are actively targeting and so you do need to kind of raise the priority. But in terms of what can be done about it, I mean, first and foremost, <laughs> patching. You know, it's the most dull, boring conversation in the world, and it's the one that we always trot out because it's an easy answer. But that's it's it's an easy answer and it's the right answer. You know, the 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 Jaguar Tooth malware was exploiting a vulnerability from 2017. Yep. Um, yep. Drop on a new version of iOS and that's gone. You know, and okay, dropping on a new version of iOS is in a lab. That's really easy, right? You know, it's a line of config, yeah, and you're done. And then you've got to reboot. Ah, <laughs> real world, yeah. And the reboot, reboot. thing thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and some might say that Cisco code occasionally has one or two undocumented features in it. 
And so therefore moving from version X to version Y might introduce some challenges in your network stability. I'm not going to comment on those things. I'm sure your view as well. Um, but that's the reality. That's software, right? Software is yeah. complex. Yeah. And so just simply patching or, or, or in case of iOS or XE and these things, you know, rolling the entire image, um, these things are, are easy to say and sometimes hard to do. And it's also what happens if that router's, I don't know, on a, on a low bandwidth link in the middle of a field, you know, so what do I, I roll an engineer to site or I try and download it? Uh, what happens if it goes wrong? There's a whole plethora of reasons as to why People don't do that patching, but it still remains our biggest defense against a lot of these kinds of attacks is just maintaining, you know, being up to date and maintained. Um, you know, second things, uh, look after your creds. Um, you know, one of the, a lot of the compromises we've seen, uh, we talk, I mean, Jaguar Tooth isn't, isn't, uh, isn't one of them, but there are other examples that we, we don't name, but there are other examples um, where we've seen compromises against devices and it's not been because they've exploited some you know, old vulnerability, it's because the creds have been compromised. Now, how have they compromised them? Who knows? It's very, very hard to know. But we all know that people will, I don't know, sync creds with Google accounts and then Google accounts yeah. get popped. Or maybe they've got them on a TACX server and the TACX server's been popped because somebody's managed to get in through another way. And, and, and. There's a whole bunch of reasons how creds can get popped. So looking after those creds, again, easy to say, sometimes really hard to do. But again, putting MFA in front of some of that can be can be very helpful. If you're using jump boxes, make sure jump boxes are all hardened where you're doing, you know, using jump boxes for management of these network devices. So that's kind of the credentials and your patching sorted out. And then it's then it's the rest. Um, using secure protocols, we talked a bit about SNMP v1 versus v2c and v3, netconf, restconf, um, you know, using modern equivalents of or modern slash secure equivalents of these older older telemetry protocols has got to be fundamental. And again, there are tools out there. There's probably a stack of open source tools, I'm sure, that will just go off and just slurp configs up and tell you, wait a minute, you've got SNMP open here, here, and here. Just go change it. Again, easy to say, not always easy to do. Yeah. But they are the, this is the reality of being, you know, being secure. It doesn't need some God box being purchased and, and God forbid we'd love people to buy God boxes from Cisco. But the reality is this is not a technology problem. This is This is a process and policy problem that people have got to get their heads around and then just in the same way you you wouldn't consider running i don't know windows 98 still on your lap on, on your laptop and stick on the internet people do yep. um but it's we know it's not a good idea it's this it's the same argument and and it's getting people into parity with that mindset so i think those are the things you know patching creds management mfa um secure protocols don't put those protocols on the internet if you are using integral protocols, don't put, don't point it at the internet and allow it to be That's accessible. It. I'm glad you mentioned Showdown. Yeah, yeah, because because how easy is that, right? Yeah. Um, it's really really trivial to just go on Showdown and find Cisco iOS boxes that are on the internet, and there are many many out there. Um, not so many in the UK. I've got to say, I've I've done a few searches there, you know, but there are many overseas, and those overseas ones are probably connected to organisations that might have a UK footprint, you know, because that's the other thing is that that yeah. might just be the box somebody forgot that's connected to a defense contractor or a big pharmaceutical organization. And that's it, we're, you know, we're away at that point. It's interesting that you mentioned the home as well, because that's a, I, I kind of alluded to, like that's mm. sometimes how people get into the corporate network. Same thing as like a yeah. remote office or another country, right? Well, that's it. I mean, if I've got your home router, then, you know, again, especially with hybrid working and more yeah. home working these days, exactly. um, you know, once again, it's, it's, you're now extending that enterprise boundary into the home. And so the security needs to go with it. And we know that, that's going to be a less secure environment for a lot of people. 
and we know that people tend to be you know much more relaxed or, or at least less diligent with their their home credentials yep. and again because Flat of network the or whatnot. Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and you know if you're using your home you know your your corporate laptop at home you connect it to your corporate wi-fi which means connect it to your router which means blah 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 you know again if your company's patching isn't up to date that's that's now a path into that organization so now you always have to temper these things, though, because the flip side of this is actually doing some of that is still non-trivial. You know, we've always got to remember that the biggest proportion of kind of criminality, let's just call it criminality out there on the internet, still remains to be cybercrime, ransomware, financially motivated. You know, the, the nation-state stuff generally isn't financially motivated. But of course, by definition, it then represents a much smaller portion. So the likelihood of somebody going after you from a nation-state point of view to pivot through your home router to get to you, are they going to do that? Or, or are they just going to go bribe the cleaner? I, I know what I'd do, and I suspect you would probably do the same. Why would I go through all that technical heartache when all I can do is just bribe somebody? Explain to me why is this suddenly being focused on? Mm. Is there like a catalyst that started this mm. or is it something that you guys have been doing for a long time? I mm. mean, you've kind of alluded yeah, to that, yeah. but why now? Why are we raising a, a, like a spotlight on this now? I, I, think, I, think it's, I think it's an aggregation of two or three different things. Um, you're right, we have been doing this. In my introduction, I talked about the Security and Trust Organization. Yep. So that organization, the biggest part of that is our secure development life cycle. So that team is responsible for in a way, hardening our devices. Yeah. So they're the ones that put in place um, all of the coding guidelines to make sure we're using SafeC and, and that we're putting in a ASLR and, and yeah. non They do all of that. Now, they do all of that because we know that these devices could be targeted, and we've been doing that for probably 15-plus years. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of that investment. Secure boot is like the one. That's secure obvious. boot, the yeah. trust anchor module, yeah. sign firmware images. Yeah. Um, there's also some really cool stuff to do with chip guard, where we can yeah. check the identities of other ASICs in the box to make sure that they're not counterfeit and so yeah. on. There's a whole raft of effort that's gone into that, and part of the frustration is nine times out of ten, our customers don't even know there's a problem that we're trying to solve there. Yeah. So this is not new from our point of view, and we've known this stuff has been going around for a long time. I think what is new is that we have seen. Two things. So we saw the NCSC report on Jaguar 2 specifically, nation, you know, talking about nation state sponsored attacks. You know, that's that's a catalyst in of itself. You know, we look at the current geopolitical landscape, you know, we've got conflicts in, in the Middle East, we've got conflicts in Europe. Those in themselves drive a certain set of concerns and new threats. So I think there's that that's an element. And I think we also found in our own data and our own experiences with customers, we started to discover more of this ourselves. Okay. So we saw cases getting raised into Cisco TAC, investigate, investigate, ah, this actually looks like compromised devices. And you'll see that in the Talos blog, which I guess you'll link to. Uh, yeah. See, I'm doing your job for you. Thanks. Uh, it's all right. Um, but the Talos blog that, that was launched around the same sort of time as Jaguar Tooth um, talks more broadly. It talks Jaguar Tooth, but talks more broadly about the cases that we found ourselves and talks about the kind of you know the tradecraft and the behaviors yeah. that we've seen. And so I think if you kind of put those two or three things together, you get a point in time. Oh, and I think the other thing is the criticality. Yeah. You know, yeah. whilst you could argue that networks have been critical for a long time, I think again since COVID they, it's just escalated right? hundred percent. So you kind of take all those things, throw them in together, and it's like actually we really do need to start to do something meaningful because the market hasn't shifted. We've still got customers out there that are running equipment that hasn't been patched. It's got 10-year uptime. 
So nothing's going to change until we start to try and put some focus on it and actually come up with something that's sensible that people can do that isn't just go patch. Because go patch is there, but well, how do we help people get to that point? How do we make it easier for people to get to that point? So that requires effort on our behalf and industry's behalf as well. In the same way that you saw with, you know, goodness, patching Windows 95, Windows 98, Windows 2000, again, was a painful process. Um, Now, I'm not a Windows guy, but I know my Mac. Patching's a relatively trivial task and certainly my i you know my iphone yeah it just just happens i don't i don't need to think about it magic happens and it gets updated and i don't need to worry about it and so i think the industry part of that coalition is how do we how do we take networks further to the toward yeah. that direction so it's you know it's, so it's there so i think that's those are the three things that underpin why we've needed to do it now why now is a good time to be doing it how did you get to get into Cisco at 18 because that's quite a cool like thing to like we're going to come into like this at that age yeah so I was looking at apprenticeships in the COVID pandemic and you can imagine how difficult that was yeah, every exactly apprenticeship I, I applied for I got an email back saying we cancelled our apprenticeship because of COVID it was probably I probably had about two or three weeks left before all the apprenticeships closed and I just Went okay, I'll search degree apprenticeships again into Google and Cisco popped up. Didn't know who Cisco was. Oh, just wow, that's clicked cool. the link and we, we went from there. And I remember the first kind of open interview they'd done. And one of the things that stood out to me was just how personable they were. Every other company, it was just emails. You never spoke to anyone. Cisco, it's people constantly speaking to you. And the rotational aspect really catched me because, I, again, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I needed to kind of go into a company where they'd allow me to make mistakes, allow me to try things out. And Cisco was offering that, so to me, it was just a no-brainer, something that I wanted to get into and just try out. You didn't have to have a degree to start working here, nope. did you? So do you, are you going to get a degree as part of this program? Yep, so I'm getting a degree in digital and technology solutions, so kind of like an overall degree in, in all IT and kind of project management, um, which is a great thing for me, no student there, and get a degree and also three years experience in a, a massive company, so I couldn't really ask for any more. Cyber, you said, is something that you, you find fascinating and you're really enjoying this, and this is where you want to focus for the rest of your career, perhaps? Yeah, definitely. I think SaaS and cybersecurity, especially what we do, we kind of combine the both. Um, SaaS being such a new thing, every company going towards wanting to be a SaaS company, not a hardware company anymore. So that was a good thing for me because you're, you're in a company, again, where innovation's top number one. And cybersecurity goes hand in hand with that because cybersecurity is a massive um, priority for all companies at the moment. So you combine the two of SaaS that's going big places and then cybersecurity is always going to big places. You're getting so much innovation, so much fast-paced um, environments. It's, it's amazing. So, I mean, I, I some people would call me a boomer, even though I'm not. But, you know, there's, I interview a lot of people who are perhaps much further in their career. Yeah. But I want to get, like, your perspective as someone who's, you know, a bit younger. And a lot of people are watching are your age perhaps younger. What's your advice to someone of your age? Look out there. Don't just look at the traditional routes. Look what else is out there. There's companies like Cisco and other companies as well that do degree apprenticeship programs where you get to get industry experience. Yes, theoretical experience is good and it teaches you the foundations, but industry experience takes it to a new level. For me, I now don't have that worry of trying to get into a company and, and fight against people with loads of industry experience. I have that already. And I also have a network. And I think people don't understand how big a network of people is. That I can go to people, call to people and say, look, I need help, I need your advice. They can give that to me. And with an apprenticeship program, you can build that network, but you can also make mistakes. I think when you join a company after uni, you feel scared about making mistakes. I don't feel scared about making mistakes. I know I can make them and learn and innovate. 
And I've also got a network of people around me that can help me do that and kind of keep me on the right path, which is the best part. And it's very practical, right? Because that's a problem a lot of people say with degrees. It's very, it can be theoretical and you don't get the practical experience. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I can kind of go into any role now around cybersecurity and, and show that I've demonstrated skills or project management or technical skills in cybersecurity that, that then employers and things like that can, can kind of grasp and go, right, it hasn't just done a degree. It's also got three years, as you said, of practical experience, which is uh, amazing for me. Yeah, I mean, would you recommend cyber then based on what you've to people of your age, is it a good, a good place to be? Yeah, hundred percent. You look at cyber's not going away. It's no. not an industry that's going to disappear. It's going to continue. And so, you know, cybersecurity is one of them things where you're playing one step ahead of attackers, and that will never disappear. So, if you want a career that's got longevity, but also it's going to change and innovate, and you have that space to be creative, then cybersecurity is the one for you. In cyber or in in IT, we seem to be making the same mistakes over and over and over. Are you finding that? you seeing things from a different perspective, perhaps to someone who's older and been in the industry longer? Yeah, I think one of the things that I like to do is any team that I go into, I like to kind of just, I overlook all they do and go, right, what can I change? What can I think, what do I think doesn't work anymore? Because even for me now, I've been in a position for, for three years, as I said, I've been in Cisco for three years, there's probably processes that I look at that I'm just so used to, yeah. that I just then don't think they need changing. But when you go into a new environment, you've got someone that's a bit more fresh and wants to be a bit creative, they look at those processes and go, hang on, that could be changed. That That's probably not the way we should be doing it. And just that that mindset of going into somewhere and going, right, what can we change? What can we improve is essential for any team or any business. What do you think that your generation can bring that, say, other generations haven't done right? One thing that we have the advantage over is that we use technology from day zero. So we've been there and experienced it. I think some older generations are still kind of catching up to them. So we can go, right, we can, we can relate. To people when people are saying that we've got this cyber attack and we're trying to put this technology it's easier for us to go and test it and go and say no that's not going to work or that might have some legs to it so i think it's just that familiarity with the technology and just the whole new um generation that's coming out that we've got more experience and we just have a little bit more knowledge around that area i really hope you enjoyed this video and the interviews hope you learned about network resilience and that this gives you the information that you need to either make changes yourself or go to leadership and get them to fund changes to your network devices and infrastructure. And I hope you were inspired by the apprenticeships that Cisco have. Don't think that the doors are closed to you. Just remember that if you want a door to open, you should knock on that door. You should try, because if you don't try, you'll never know if that opportunity is there for you.